I don't think that this is something that the Star Wars universe knows how to integrate or once the closest we got for me to like getting something that felt like really good classic like a classic romance but I was like I love this is in I think it's Mandalorian season one could have uh-huh. been season two I think it's the first episode Bryce Dallas Howard directs yeah the one where the yeah the woman who like asks him will you take your helmet off and he like kind of wants to and doesn't love that yeah I think that's one of yeah I was literally just thinking that when we were talking about like oh Star Wars doesn't do romance well it's like that's one of the few moments where I was like yeah Star Wars can do romance and it can do it well but it's also like it's hard to do in my opinion good romance on something that's so huge because good romance needs time and it needs energy and it needs narrative focus and whenever you have something as busy and as heavy as Star Wars there's just not enough room for it And we are live with another episode of The Keeg Live. Today's episode, we're talking the greatest romances in geekdom. It's season three, episode three. So uh, for some of you who were around for season two, uh, around this time, around uh, the old V-Day, you may have tuned in last year and listened to that episode when we talked about this topic. Uh, but it's a whole new year and a bunch of new guests. And it's the same topic, but it's going to be a brand new episode I don't know. Did I mention my name? I'm your host, Dimitri Pereira, and uh, I can't do this alone. It's not a one-man show, so let me introduce my two awesome guests. You may know him as The Favoring Wind on TikTok. Uh, you may know him as Nathan Cook. It's Nathan Cook! Hey, y'all! Uh, I was told that you have a birthday in August. Is that is that correct, or do I have the wrong That's information? Right. That's accurate. I shaped my entire look after being a Leo. That's correct. Um, <laughs> is that a real thing? That you just gotta look like a lion? You're like, yeah, this is my personality now. No, I think it was a coincidence. Like, I wasn't even sure astrology was real, which it is. It's 100% real. And then I, I grew a beard, and I said, oh my god, it's fate. And I'm a Gryffindor. There's, there's no way it's coincidence. Okay, well, uh, I'm glad. Lion or not, Gryffindor or not, well, look, nobody's perfect. I'm a Slytherin, so, uh, you know, nobody, uh, nobody's perfect. You're a Gryffindor. All right, I guess you could still stay on the show. So, uh, thank you, uh, Nathan, for coming on this and talk. Uh, we're going to be talking about best and worst romances uh, that we can think of. Um, so I'm looking forward to hearing what you got for so us. excited. We also have Miss Riddle Me This. You may know her as Miss Riddle Me This on TikTok and uh, like everything else. We got Sam. What's up, Sam? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Nothing much. <laughs> uh, doing good. Your birthday is in April, but you're not an Aries because I'm an Aries because I'm beginning of April. What's what's end of April? I'm a Taurus. Taurus. My yeah, parents owned a Ford Taurus back in the day. Uh, I'm not a Taurus. Uh, that's what one of the one of the cars uh, that I know. I don't know much about cars, but I do know what my parents had when I was six. <laughs> I'm a stubborn bull. That's my that's my astrology archetype. Yeah, I like Astro- things in life, and I like stubbornness. <laughs> do you, are you are you big into astrology? 
I think there's a merit to it. I'm not that knowledgeable about it. And um, I used to not really believe it a whole lot because I was like, this isn't all applicable to me. And then I realized that my uh, Venus was in Gemini and that explained a lot about my past love life. And I was like, oh, damn, this might actually have some credibility to it. <laughs> okay. I, I'm a firm believer in Hogwarts houses. So that's my go-to. I don't like Myers-Briggs. I can't figure out my Myers-Briggs thing. Um, and I'm not a big fan of astrology. It is what it is. I'm an Aries. Maybe that's an Aries thing. But Hogwarts houses, that's like a huge thing. Um, you're a Slytherin, right? I am. Okay. And uh, Nathan is a Gryffindor. Huh. Okay. I will very quickly throw hands over like a minor ethical issue. That's, and, and I have, if somebody's like a little bit of authority, I'm like, oh, I'm going, I'm going to burn your office down because you, you had authority. I don't like that. Those are the, <laughs> you don't like authority, but you're a Gryffindor. Well, no, it's that kind of like, like, how dare you have authority over me kind of thing. Like the, the rebellious uh, part of the Gryffindor. I don't I know. I'm just, I'm going with uh, what other people have told me, very rebellious, like very honorable, like at the same time, sort of like. That oh, thing. very courageous, stand up for other people kind of thing, yeah. but also quick to throw hands. I would dare you to take another look at your Hogwarts houses. I would, I would dare you to do that. Okay, because uh, Gryffindor, as a Slytherin, uh, I also, I also kind of match with you about like they got authority over me, like. Each man has their own authority, but also let's all just be better people. So there's, I'm a weird mix. I'm Slytherin and then Ravenclaw. So, you know. Um, My wife's a Ravenclaw. Ravenclaws are highly underrated. Ra yeah. Yeah. I, uh, Raven, I've realized I have an affinity for Ravenclaws. And that's, uh, that's my cross to bear. It's both good and bad. Uh, it is worked out and not worked out just as many times in my life. Um, we're here to talk about the best and worst romances in geekdom. And I've rephrased that different ways. The best and worst romances in fiction, uh, uh, relationships, blah, 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 blah. But we're here to talk about it all. And we all kind of come from different, um, different kind of geek backgrounds in a way. And so I guess, for, uh, how, how, do we, how do we open this up? Who, who who's who has a favorite romance that they look at? Let's let's start positive and like okay. go straight for like the best romance. Uh, let me rephrase that. Do we have a best romance that we had growing up? Something that we looked at when we were younger and we were like, yes, this is it. Because I'll know. Uh, I, I know that like some people looked at Joker and Harley and they're like, I want to be just like that. And then when we got older, we were like what no. yeah i was never like that but i know people who were yeah, i was um my big one when i was a kid was uh, aurora like sleeping beauty and prince philip uh those were my two that was like my disney couple that i looked up to because i just i love the way he like fought for her um so i just that's the one i looked up to when i was a kid prince philip's the well, one who fights he fights the dragon right yes okay they have, they have such good chemistry when they first meet, too. Like, he just shows up. He's not expecting me. He's like, hey, we're, we're just singing and dancing in the woods. Okay, I guess she's leaving. 
toxic or healthy or whatever they're they're just two ends of the same string two sides of the same coin there's just no there's no one else for them there's something compelling about that and it lowers the tension of who they're going to end up with you're like i know they're going to end up with this person it's just a matter of how right are we do we hmm how do i phrase this do we all have like a fairly positive view on romance in general Yes. I know. <laughs> uh, for anyone watching the live stream, uh, which is on volume.com or twitch.tv or I believe YouTube, uh, uh, the old youtube.com, uh, you can see Nathan's ring. But if you are listening to the podcast, that's wherever you get your podcast, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Spotify, iHeartRadio, you cannot see Nathan's ring. But trust me, Nathan has a ring that he was just showing off. For anyone just listening, it was a Green Lantern ring. Just so you know, <laughs> he he's married to to uh, his his fandom is what right. what he was doing. Yeah, aren't we all? <laughs> um. So Nathan is married. No, engaged. Married. Married. Okay. Okay. So you do believe in love? Yes. Hopefully. Yes. <laughs> and then and then Sam was saying she believes in love. I do. I do now. I used to be very like, I used to approach relationships and romance in a very toxic way. I didn't really give it much thought. And then I actually found someone I want to spend the rest of my life with. So things that does yeah. to you. It, cha- it changes. It's, it's, it's like, uh, it's like me. Uh, I'm a dog person. I'm not a cat person, but uh, if I got a cat, I'd fall in love with the cat and uh, be like, now I'm a cat person for this one cat. Romance is kind of a fair weather thing that way, isn't it? Where it's like, once it's not working for you, it's like, this can't work. The team's no. not winning. It will never win again. I hate it. But the moment like you find somebody who you really hope will buy you pizza, you're like, oh my God, this is, this is, you guys, you gotta cash in on love. Buy all the merch. Love is real. Right. <laughs> that, I, I like that bar. The bar where it's, the, the bar that you're setting. It's like, will, will she buy me pizza? Yeah. <laughs> yes okay then i'm in love okay i think that's the healthy romance too because like i as much as we all love seeing in movies like the the big romantic gesture they're fun they're dramatic at the end of the day we want somebody who's just gonna like put up with us when we're boring and like somebody who's willing to not split groceries who's like you know what i'll cover it this time that's fine like that's 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 love. That's the those little things of like I'll put up with you every day. I don't care what the thing is. I'm it's 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 fine. You're like yeah, cool. It's the little things, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Sam, were you gonna were you gonna add on to that? Oh yeah, I was just gonna give about you know romance being fair weather. You know, part of what I used to be was I used to be the kind of person that when things started to get rough, I would run. And I remember having a conversation with Chris where I was like, I'm, I'm, I have an avoidant personality type. And so I was like, I'm scared that that's going to happen. But like very early in our relationship, I told him that and I'm scared that that's going to happen. And you know, it's real 
whenever you completely circumvent your personality type just to be with that person and it like just doesn't even become a factor anymore mm. and it's like i'm not going to run away from anything i'm going to stay here and work on what needs to be worked on because i love you and i'm not going to yeah. just take any sort of bump in the road any sort of little thing and let it stack up we're going to do this together and it's going to stay that way forever right so yeah romance can be fair weathered or at least it used to be for me but not anymore <laughs> Good. Uh, all right. That that I round out the bunch uh, being single and uh, romance is real. Love is real. I get it. But uh, uh, we'll we'll see how that works for for all these fictional characters in the long run. Um, uh, what were you saying? You were saying, uh, Sam, about Prince Philip and Aurora, and that was like your big one growing up. Yeah, I love that movie when I was a kid. And then follow-up to that was, uh, I was a Disney kid. I'm still a Disney kid. Um, I went through the Disney College program, so Disney is a big deal for me, unfortunately. Mm. (laughs) But uh, Cinderella and uh, Prince Charming were the ones right after that. I guess I was, like, raised on just the classics. Yeah. Uh, I find Cinderella kind of boring. Not her, personally, but the movie. And especially Prince, whatever his name is. What's his name? literally charming yeah he's that's charming okay i i i think that between that and sleeping beauty it's like i i think i like cinderella more as a movie i think i like the romance more in sleeping beauty Mm. oh yeah that's Mm. that's the trade-off there okay that's fair um nathan did you have a uh uh romantic stuff growing up like any uh, favorite stuff I was a bizarrely hopeless romantic child, yeah. like writing writing love poems to no one at age eight, like yeah. and just like looking around the classroom to see which girl is like. I guess I guess this is to her, but it's really just for my own sake. Cause you know, yeah. watching something like Hercules, like for me, as much as I I was I grew up on the the I grew up on the classics as well, but Hercules and Tarzan were the two where the relationships I liked more. And maybe it's just because of how like. Like, I I just I just like how bold and 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 uh, forthright both Jane and Meg are. Yeah, they 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 do not need Tarzan or Hercules, and yeah. they're more tolerate and get endeared to these characters as opposed to like needing them or needing to get saved. I just I just like that, and I like the hostility that exists between them whenever they don't get along. So those are those are mine. I was. I was, especially Meg and Hercules, I was very much affected by Meg and Hercules. Yeah, I, the big one for me was Aladdin. And uh, I, because I just really like Aladdin. And the movie, and I like the character, and uh, I wanted to be him, and Jasmine looked great. And that was, you know, uh, awesome as a kid, just being like, yeah, Jasmine. But... When I think about it, their relationship isn't very fleshed out. Like, I maybe I like that romance because of just my affinity for Aladdin and my attraction to Jasmine, as opposed to Aladdin and Jasmine are the best relationship out there, right? Yeah, they're an interesting couple because, like, you know, you're you're right. It's not that they themselves have a bond, but they're both independently these really compelling characters who you want you want both of them to have what they want by the end of the story 
and both of them have declared that the other character is who they want. So you're like, I support that. You both have independently said you want each other. I support it. But if you're like, what do they have in common? You're like, I don't know. They right. both like carpets. Right. <laughs> it's. I I feel like there's a lot of problematic relationships. I don't know whether they fit in in that in that court of problematic, but they're not the greatest. But were there any? relationships that you would watch growing up that you had a fairly positive outlook on that ended up being negative as you grew older and you realized oh yeah i don't aim for that anymore oh so many so many (laughs) sam start us off because i would i would love to get your takes on that so here's my thing right and i could go into a big like tirade about like shipping and the morality of it that I really kind of don't want to. I kind of want to keep this lighthearted, but I've always been a thing for like darker romances. I like dark, compelling. I like interesting. Like my big one, the reason I got into Batman in the first place was because I really liked Joker and Harley when I was like 13. Yeah, like I, that's a I lot of people's thing, right? I recognized that it was abusive and I didn't want their relationship, but I still enjoyed the dynamic and enjoyed their right. characters. Uh, another one for me is uh, Beetlejuice and Lydia. I even have a tattoo of them. Not a good ship, not a good relationship to emulate, that's, but it's like the aesthetic, right? Like that's what people right. like about them. It's maybe um, more toxic than Joker and Harley. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, and then uh, let's see here. And then Labyrinth um, with Gareth and Sarah played by, you know, the lovely David Bowie and Jennifer Connelly. Um, that's another one that's like, it's not really the relationship, it's what it represents. Yeah, you know that threw me in when I was younger, and why it still kind of resonates with me as like a girl who's like a fangirl, and you know, likes the romantic aspects of fantasy and science fiction. So those are like kind of why those really pulled me in when I was younger, even though they're not good, and why they've like stayed with me the longest, um, just because they have that nostalgia factor, and they do have other things going for them other than just being like this is a healthy relationship, you know? Yeah, yeah, I. I think that those are great examples because also those are relationships that have like struck out to a ton of people over multiple generations. And like, you sort of, you can see for people, everyone having that moment in their life where like, wow, I love, I love Jareth. And why can I not remember Jennifer Connelly's character's name? Yeah. Uh, But as they get older, it's like, oh God, I shouldn't have liked that. Oh, I like that because I was her age and it made sense at the time. Um, the, uh, The two for me, I didn't, I didn't have the same attraction to like the, those kind of toxic relationships, but I realized that like, as I grew up, there were a lot of relationships that were really compelling that are built on absolutely nothing. And like the two big ones for me and like built on nothing in a bad way, like not just like, Oh, they didn't flesh it out. But like these two people should not be together. Um, Edward Scissorhands, his relationship with, uh, why can I not remember the character? But anyway, his relationship with, uh, uh, I was about Lydia. to say Lydia Deeds, but yeah, Kim, right? That's her name, Kim. Yeah, Kim. That's her other character. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they just find each other mysterious. That's it. She's the mysteriously pretty person. He's the mysteriously quiet uh, person, and that's it. That's the only thing that builds their entire romance. Right. And if, if they pedestalize each other based on mystery. The other one like that, where it's like this relationship is built on nothing except for a toxic misconception, where relationships that are built entirely on wanting to get out of the relationship you're not happy in. It's a huge trope in rom-coms. Yeah. Uh, some of them, they're less egregious than others. Like 
you've got male handles this trope kind of tactfully because the care the, the couple breaks up as opposed to cheating on each other and they break up amicably but sleepless in seattle the classic sleepless in seattle is all about meg ryan being an otherwise totally like it's not a good role it's not it's not a like exciting relationship with bill pullman but it's not toxic he's not abusive he's not he doesn't yell he doesn't really misunderstand her he sneezes a lot he's a guy with allergies who's kind of boring so of course what's she gonna do but cheat on him with the idea of falling in love with a man she's never met and you're like how is this romantic (laughs) but it was it's the it's the movie that launched a thousand other movies but it's a terrible model for romance but that's the interesting thing about media in general is that we adopt these ideas, right? And uh, I mean, uh, this is a topic that we've talked about in previous episodes for like bigger, more hard hitting topics, but, but the fact of like representation in, in, in media and then when it's applied to these like romances, we, I mean, if media got its way, we would all just be like, yes, we wanna be Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan because they did like four rom-coms together. Like the, it's disproportionate. Not everybody is Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan, but, um, but no, like, like just having like, um, we're seeing these like different media portrayals of what romance is. And when you get these, a lot of these tropes, then you start internalizing them a little bit, yeah. right? And they're, because they're not deconstructed within the medium. So this is this interesting thing about like, the difference between like a romance, a toxic romance in a movie versus a book. Like anything that you see that's kind of hard to deal with in a book that you're grappling with that's morally and ethically gray, you get a long time to think about it and you get a lot of varied thoughts from the narrator and if it's not the narrator, it's not the same as the protagonist for the protagonist as well. And that allows for a much more nuanced look. So as opposed to saying like, oh, this thing in this book is what I also love. You're able to be like, this thing in this book is like a journal of someone else's choices. And I can separate myself from it a little bit that way. But in a movie, mm-hmm. you're just seeing three hours or three hours, yeah, you know, three acts, an hour and a half to two and a half hours of larger than life portrayals. And uh, you, you don't really get the time to deconstruct that portrayal unless you go back and revisit that movie multiple, multiple times um, or compare it to something in another movie. Yeah, uh, which film, film like hinges on being a comparative medium. Otherwise, it is a very um, otherwise it's a medium about us seeing what we want, like uh, like seeing something and then uh, internalizing and then recreating it in the real world. Are you saying that because of tropes and because of like genres, you do compare TV to it, or uh, sorry, do you say TV or movies? No, I'm just saying, like, like, okay, this is this very. I this is probably much heavier than for this episode, but like, yeah, just but I, I, when, okay, I'm listening. When you see something in a book, like you get much more time to struggle with it, and it, it, it makes it, all art's going to make a home in you, but it's going to make a home in you with something that you had time to process and had time to criticize as it was going on. But a movie being this much shorter experience and much more larger than life and less intimate, mm-hmm. um, you don't, like, as just a casual viewer, you are not necessarily given the same opportunity to be critical. 
with it. And like, we're all critical of it, but I mean, like, at the same time to stop and say, oh, I'm going to be self-aware for a second and say whether or not I do or do not like this thing. Um, you don't, you don't get the same opportunity. It can flash by you and you, all you're going to internalize is I was entertained. I liked that thing and kind of want it for myself. And, you know, it looked really cool. So, and unless you go back and watch the movie multiple times or can compare, take the time to compare what you saw in one movie to what you saw in another to see like how it stacks up with those tropes. Yeah. Otherwise, that's that's why movies have this very they have the ability to like um, be to be so influential with us be, or influential on us because it's 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 giant propaganda. In the case of romance movies, it's it's romance propaganda, and we right. just sort of give the message. Right. That's why I think it's important, um, just for in general, but I also think in schools it should be taught more. Just media literacy, um, being taught how to analyze the content you consume. And that's not to say, like, you know, whenever I'm trying to think of the best way to put this, and I just had a complete brain dead moment. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, we just, I think we just need to focus um, just in general on having more media literacy because, as you said, movies are pretty propaganda y, and most people that go and watch them are just going to go and watch and be like, yeah, that was a fun movie. Yeah, I like that movie. Right. That's why I think. That's why I think fandoms are so important is because it's a bunch of nerds coming together and talking and analyzing the hell out of something and right. comparing and contrasting. But you yeah. don't really get that with the general audience. Yeah, uh, that, that's interesting you bring that up because I also think that applies to like, depending on how old you are, you dealt with Star Wars in different ways. So like, for instance, there was a lot of time um, between the original trilogy and the prequels that I was sitting there being like, reading the books and thinking about what Star, like what could a new trilogy be like? And everybody was analyzing the original trilogy for so long before the prequels came out and like fleshed out a little bit more. And so um, in school, you're doing like reading comprehension. If you're, I guess, in a good class or have a good teacher you're really like trying to comprehend your reading right reading comprehension is a big thing and that's what you get tested on and we do that with books but we never did that with movies as as kids right we weren't like here's a movie what did the director mean by this and so our ability to deconstruct reading is a little bit better or at least more ingrained within us through those teachings than it is watching a movie because watching a movie, you get more. You're seeing things and like seeing is believing. But as we realize as we get older, like seeing isn't always believing. What What's wild also about, and I, I, I might be able to pull us back to romance with this one. What's yeah. wild about um, not learning media literacy, particularly with, with visual media, yeah. is that the same visual tropes and the same most of the same artist language that goes into making a movie also goes into making television and goes into making commercials. These are different formats and these are different, um, they have, they have different uh, goals and different necessities, but overall it's a lot of the same tools and it's a lot of the same tricks to how to get you to empathize with somebody very quickly, even though you don't know anything about them, how to get some, you don't want something, find something enticing. The, the same tricks that make you want a certain cleaning product are the same tricks that make you want the DeLorean and Back to the Future. 
Um, they're just used on different like microcosmic and macrocosmic scales. Yeah. But if I if I'm taught how to think about a movie more critically, I'm also in the same token going to get taught how to think about a Swiffer commercial more. Uh, I, I'm I'm listing brands. I probably shouldn't do that. I'm thinking about a. Um, they're doing their job to, then, right? Like. Right. <laughs> But how to think about like these different branded things that are being sold to me a little bit more critically. Right. Uh, but you've been compromised, romance. Nathan. I have. They're gonna come for you. Yeah, yeah Swiffer, Swiffer, Swiffer has you now. What, what they're actually gonna compromise me, like, thank you for proving that after all those years you remembered the name of our brand. And I'll be yeah. like, God damn. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Uh, I think I think what we're seeing is that there's a a big influence of these like themes, whether it's our view on violence or our, our view on love, that like really permeate through us. The fact that we're seeing things, and we're seeing things in a specific way, and when it comes to these bad romances that we've internalized, almost like, for instance, the idea that like if if the guy hate if the guy is mean to the girl he likes her and we've internalized that in real life and we see it in media and i don't know which one came first but it's almost this cycle of if he's pulling your pigtails he has a crush on you and boys will be boys and so we see this in like these toxic relationships that we mentioned like joker and harley quinn where people are like yeah 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 they're just bonnie and clyde they're like, they're bad people, but they love each other and their love is real. And then when we get older, we're like, no, this is abusive, manipulative, like toxic uh, stuff that we shouldn't emulate. But at that point, then it becomes too late. Like people are very, already doing that. I think very little starts in art. Like, I don't think like a lot of these like trends, these heteronormative trends, these toxic relationship trends, whatever, yeah. I don't think that they they find their origin in the story, but I think things get propagated, especially when they don't, when, like when the story doesn't take time to make a commentary on the thing it's showing us. Uh, it's just by, by giving this further example and then making that further example into a trope so that it's everywhere, this little thing that you know we could be talking about in our culture like hey you know uh this sometimes happens where sometimes uh guys have a bad habit of being mean to girls when they uh are trying to flirt or oh here's this thing where you know sometimes people because of the way they grew up they get attracted to things that are going to be uh toxic for them or bad for them so instead of it just being this anomaly this or not anomaly this this like less common fact of life by being right. um dilated in film and literature by being shown to us everywhere and becoming ubiquitous, more people start to expect it and it starts to become more commonplace in our lives. Right. So it's like, yeah. Question, uh, uh, Sam, you yeah. mentioned the, the relationships that you had, you had romanticized in, when you were younger because we all, you know, we all have those. And then you realize later that, uh, yeah, that's not probably not the way to go, right? What were, what were those relationships that you mentioned? Well, I do have to be honest with you guys. Um, I still do consider myself a shipper of yeah. these relationships. Oh, okay. But not in like, a, I think they're good. These are good things. This is what I want. This is what everyone should want. This should be emulated. But again, because it is that like nostalgia factor, the narrative, this, that, and the other, there's a lot more of a nuanced situation than just like, I think this is good. 
because I'm a smart person. I know how to analyze media. I know how to consume media in a way that doesn't hurt me. Right. Um, so the ones that I brought up were uh, Jarrett and Sarah, uh, Beetlejuice and Lydia, mm-hmm. and then the third one. What was the third one? Uh, Harley and Joker? Yeah. I'll throw in a fourth. I'm a big Raylo. <laughs> These are my Raylo Barbies. I brought them because I thought we would bring it up, so I'm going to bring it up now. We, we will. That that's a conversation in and of itself because I will oh, like excellent. to touch on it. But yes, what were, Nathan? Oh, I'm I'm a Raylo shipper, and I think I think shipping I think shipping should be distinct thought of distinctly different than like thinking a couple is good together. That yeah, or, or even that they're healthy. I feel like there's there's like hey, I'm a shipper just because I like these two together. I like the banter that they have. Or like the aesthetic or man i just think it'd be hot and then there's there's okay i think these two characters are actually better suited for each other and i feel like if they were to have a healthy relationship in the long run these two characters would make it work and then there's like i think these characters are bad for the world and we shouldn't show them because they're toxic and bad and a bad example that's taboo thinking i don't really um ascribe to that but like like harley and joker it's like i don't want them to be together but when they're together, it's lightning in a bottle, and it's very entertaining. That kind of thing. Or like, right. I don't, I don't want these two. You know, I don't want Ray and Kylo to necessarily be together because I think that they're like perfectly right for each other. But I think that's the better story. And there's right. also this aspect that people don't really talk about when it comes to the way women interact with fiction and interact with shipping. Is there's a self-insertion aspect of it, and. of the time, it's because you think the guy is hot and you're self-imposing yourself onto the female character. Men do that too. Guys do that too. Yeah. (laughs) Have you ever seen Queen of the Damned? No one in that movie was supposed to be with her. She's a demon. She's evil. I ship ship her with everything. I ship her with like (laughs) rule of the world. Absolutely. Uh. I, well, I it's nice like to know that we're not alone on this because everyone always makes it such a gendered thing. Because like, they're being misogynist. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, like, I, I feel like guys self-insert a lot in a, but it, it's obviously just a more toxic way. For instance, when a female character comes out as bi or comes out as uh, she's been, you know, a, a, a lesbian, that male fans will disagree like wholeheartedly because they want to see themselves in a relationship with that person and it's this weird thing like an ownership of harley when harley comes out as bi uh and she's with poison ivy people hate on it because they're like no 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 like she's for the men like it's weird they're not they're not characters they're objects who like the men have as an option to think of themselves with yeah it's as opposed to like, oh, I'm invested in Harley because she's a compelling character who really entertains me. And, you know, I could I could watch her go over to Denny's and order a, a cheeseburger and be like, this is, this is great stuff. Love this person. Right. Um, right. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting when you look at it, if, you, if we're talking about like male gaze versus female gaze, uh, G-A-Z-E for anyone out there misunderstanding the context of, of what I'm saying. But the, uh, but I feel like a lot of this media has been driven in the past by male directors, male writers, male producers, where it's like the reason we're pushing the men are mean to women, that means they like them. Who does that serve? That serves men. 
right? Like, if we agree to that, then we're like, yeah, they could just be dicks and, like, you write it off as, like, they still love you and it's not that great. But I feel like Sam brought up something and I'm, I'm trying to figure out how I'm linking it all together. Uh, when you, the female point of view, save me here, Sam, the female point of view is a little bit different. Yeah, um, so... I, I think a big aspect of it is the self-insertion. Um, that's kind of what I was mostly getting at there. Um, but also it's like, it's, I noticed that women that shift darker things or enjoy darker romances or problematic shifts or romances really do fall almost into the, like I say, it makes me think of, so I'm in a big Far Cry 5 mood right now. Do you guys know the video game? I know of the video game. I know of the video game. Okay. Well. Too long didn't read that game has a huge female player base and a huge female fan base because of just how self-insertable you are mm. in the game. And you can just ship yourself with the main villain. And it's so easy to do that because of the narrative and just how you play the character. And so there's like so much fan fiction for this video game that is non-existent for the other games just because of that sort of shipping culture alone. And I'm actually about to make a big video essay on this. So it does come down to women. We like to self-insert ourselves in a way, um, and that really does, I don't know. I don't know what I'm getting at. I, I hope that answered your question a little bit, because that's the main point that I remember making. Yeah, just the approach to, okay, I'm going to draw from personal experience. I don't like Kylo Ren and Rey. I, I don't, but that's also become a, that's come over time, as I've realized that we do a lot of, um, redeemable bad boy characters and we have this trope we have this like ongoing thing where it's like yeah sure they're bad boys but like a woman can change him i can fix him i can fix yeah him. right <laughs> which isn't a problem in fiction if if it's in and of itself but the fact is, is that that's a real life thing that people do and it, it it's it's horrible men count on it in real life relationships and women get uh, uh, kind of uh, roped into that where you can change this person who's obviously very problematic. They could be toxic problematic or they could just be lazy problematic uh, as I once was. Uh, I was Lawrence from uh, uh, season one of Insecure. Do you guys watch Insecure? Uh, I do not, but I've really been wanting to watch it. So I'm excited to hear about this because that's uh, on my list. I found out I was Lawrence from Insecure after my ex and I broke up. And then I watched it and I was like, holy shit. This is just mirror image shit. Um, and so like Lawrence is just Lawrence on the couch, Lawrence. And uh, I'd like to believe I'm not that anymore. But the point being is that like, like uh, the premise of season one is like this girl in a long-term relationship, the guy's not doing anything. And like, she feels like he's going to get his shit together. and she kind of just sticks with him. This is all just episode one stuff. So the point being is that like the whole fixing a person can be like a real thing though that is a real problem. And thus I hate it in fiction. And I it, do have a hands on that. Which yeah. um, I get it why you would hate it in fiction because it is so prevalent in the real world. But I also think that Let's see, how does we approach this? I think instead of putting the blame on the types of fiction that women enjoy and the types of relationships, because I also love 
a bad boy redemption narrative. That's why I like Raylo so much. Right. However, I'm also not the type that's like I can fix anybody. <laughs> no, right. it's like three strikes, you're out. Yeah. Um, so again, I think that's why we need to circle back to the idea of media literacy. You need to be conscious of what you're consuming. You need to be aware of it. You need to analyze it. Doesn't mean you can't enjoy it, but you just need to be critical of it. Right. And I, I think that I think that that's really the point because like when we're talking about something in fiction, something this is this is more than an arm's length separated from us. Um, that women or or men who are self-inserting themselves in the story or non-binary people who are self-inserting themselves into a toxic relationship because it's satisfying to them, that's fantasy. And that's what fiction's about. Like it is it is satisfying to play out that that thought experiment of, oh, I can fix them, or oh, the uh that character is dangerous, but they won't hurt me, which are the, the both sides of that coin. Yeah. Um but I think going into the like the media literacy part of it, like when we're talking about adult women or adult men or adult anybody uh, consuming these stories, they're adults. That's that's their that's their business. They at this point hopefully are trained or um, educated enough by just living in this world that they can separate fact from fiction and healthy from unhealthy. But I think that's where you get into why it's so important to teach these things to children. Because where's the real damage come from when you're taking in a toxic relationship or these bad expectations of a relationship, like like uh, thinking you can fix somebody who can't be fixed? Does that damage really get done to somebody who's 25 who has lived and been in relationships and knows or is that damage being done to somebody between the ages of like 9 and 15 who is consuming this stuff because you know they, they should be allowed to because consuming media is part of how you become media literate but they don't have the guidance from an adult or from a platform or from anything to help them think critically about these things and create that separation that that arms distance between themselves and the thing they're self-inserting into is it right. a piece of is it a creator's duty to if they propose a relationship in their media to kind of have a point about it I don't, I don't think so. I think they can. I think a lot of great writers find out ways to like have maybe a side character who comments on the relationship very accurately, or maybe they're able to experience a full arc where they then leave that relationship or, you know, who knows? They're able to, the, some writers do include that ethical um, contrast, but I don't think that's their responsibility because again, they they should art should also exist for adults if i'm if i'm 45 and i'm married and i've been through i've been around the block and i know what's going on at this point i should be able to experience the art without the art needing to remind me that it's art right. um which is a hard thing for those of us who are younger to remember like because we're like oh man teach me something good now it's like hey as much as you want the world as much as we want the world to cater to us there are people who have have learned these lessons a dozen times over who don't want to learn them who don't need to learn them again yeah um yeah. before I, I propose an, uh, another very similar question uh we have aggressively relaxing on youtube uh that's typing out some good stuff we will get to you aggressively relaxing um because i have a roundabout thing that i'll 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 utilize that to get to um as we're talking about this media stuff harley and joker in let's just say the batman animated series is treated as entertaining and part of the story, but I think it is displayed as 
why like don't get into this situation like like i think they do they don't need they don't get preachy about it they don't make a stand or uh, i think they make a stand but they don't get preachy about it where it's harley should not be with joker and we're pro and a lot of people miss that cue i think and then that's on their media literacy but are there examples of toxic relationships in media that are almost like hands off in a into a detrimental way so like a toxic relationship that never calls attention to the fact that it's toxic right okay ooh Ooh. um in situations like that it's mostly like cases of like it's unintentionally toxic like the narrative they're like wanting you to think like they're like like the narrative genuinely thinks like they're putting out something good and healthy but it's like no this is not and that would probably be like any classic old hollywood relationship really i don't know much about old hollywood but i'm assuming that a lot of it's like that i know a lot of old i'll say there's misconception around old hollywood stuff oh oh because a lot there are a lot of really healthy old hollywood relationships and a lot of the unhealthy old hollywood relationships that we see the audience at the time knew that they were unhealthy a shift occurs around the mid 50s um around like the nuclear family post-war family um shift and we still have those like intentionally toxic like noir is intentionally toxic noir is meant to be something your mom told you absolutely not to watch that's the whole point like church groups are supposed to hate noir it's supposed to be toxic and that's mm-hmm. that's the whole no one's going in being like this is healthy they're like they're like it's salacious on purpose but somewhere around the like late 50s or mid 50s when you get those like elvis beach movie relationships where it's like mm-hmm. oh this this shouldn't be a thing at all and the movie's like nobody cares she's blonde and he's a musician who cares like that's that's where you get into this evolution and then a new evolution occurs so that's like mid 50s then about 20 years later in the 70s a lot of creators who grew up in the 40s and 50s um get their hands on the same tropes and they present those tropes around the 70s as being just fine a big example of this is pulp tropes being adopted in indiana jones because indiana jones is meant to feel like a pulp hero or like a noir hero and the thing is as i was saying before those guys are meant to be bad they're anti-heroes um technically indiana jones is is, uh totally modeled after this archetypal anti-hero he hits women he swears he would never save a dog like that's that's how the audience is supposed to think of him this guy who doesn't do the right thing until the last minute does he not save dogs no, I'm, I'm making you know, like. Oh, okay. Well, I wasn't sure if there was a scene in Indiana Jones where he's like, "Nah, fuck the dog." Like, no, but, but like a Humphrey Bogart, a, a noir hero. A noir hero might be like going through the whole thing, and it wouldn't be till the very end of the movie. He's like, "I'll save this dog, I guess," kind of thing, because that's they makes him the begrudging hero. Um, yeah. Indiana Jones is almost entirely modeled after that, and how he talks to women in how he handles other authority figures, how he dresses, how he, all of these other models, except it's never treated like it's an anti-hero. It's just a hero. And that's right. where you get this re-embracement of new norms, where instead of, instead of his behavior being salacious, it's just cool. That's just what dudes do. Yeah. And then you emulate it. Right. No right. one was, no one was, nest. well, not no one. 
the general public was not walking out of a Humphrey Bogart romance being like, this is what love should be. They were walking out going, oh God, those two are not meant for each other. Yeah. But then 20 years later, you know, you walk out of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, and you, which is easily one of the most toxic relationships in any adventure film. And the audience walks out going, he got the girl in the end. Which, yeah, yeah that wouldn't have been the reaction 30 years ago. Yeah. Sam, you, you have any thoughts on that? No, um, that's completely accurate. I feel like that's what, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that's my biggest niche is like talking about like the development and trends. I'm like, oh, I, yeah. I can map out these trends. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't the biggest toxic one in, the big toxic ones in old Hollywood are like the trope of the men already being perfectly fine in life and then the woman coming along like, I'm scrambling to figure things out. The man's like, you better get your stuff together, lady, because I'm here running this business or with my dad's money, and you're the one who's, like, figuring out your feelings. <sighs> I've already got mine figured out. I have three of them. They're so good. <laughs> That's one. And then the we think age gaps are bad now. In the 50s and 60s, it was like this man just got his AARP card in the mail and is going on a date with someone yeah. Sam's age. <laughs> uh, what's the movie... There's a movie with, is it Cary Grant? Um, and there's a diamond involved and he's wearing way too much bronzer to the point it's like, it looks like blackface. There's a couple in, in the 60s. Cause Cary Grant is so charming. He's so charming. They didn't want to retire him as an actor. Yeah. Of course not. Like he's, he was still pulling the big bucks. Um, so he got, I think you're thinking of To Catch a Thief. And I, I think yeah, at the yeah. timeline. I'm looking that yeah, up, I yeah. Think, I think what the timeline is, is he did, um, he did uh, with Hitchcock, the movie North by Northwest, which was this super hit. Um, and they don't try to age him down in North by Northwest at all. He's meant to seem like this old, like over middle-aged uh, man uh, who, who finds a woman who's not like of all of the age gaps around this time. It's still an age gap, but it's not like, it's agree. I'm not gonna say it's not egregious. It's compared to the other ones, it's not as bad, but it's still bad. Um, she's yeah. like maybe late twenties, and he's like easily, you know, pushing fifty five or sixty. Um, uh, but then after that, you get charade and to catch a thief. Wow. And in charade and to catch a thief, you're like, this makes no sense. Like that. That is that is her grandfather. Right. <laughs> you do not. You do not belong with Grace Kelly, sir. And yeah, and they, they went out of their way to age him down. Yeah. Um, um, here's a question. Uh, do we feel that age gaps in Hollywood push romantic propaganda? Uh, and then uh, I want to hear Sam's take on this, uh, especially as a woman. But like, because uh, we, we keep seeing, and this is just a trend, and I, I think like Professor Neal had talked about it as well, is like these guys keep getting older and the women stay the same age, right? Adam Sandler and, and you know, uh, keeps having younger and younger like co-stars or like their, you know, romantic interests. And uh, is that pushing this whole narrative where it's just like, yeah, 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 guys just date younger girls. And then women are here being like, like, I guess I had my five years of being viable, you know, according to Hollywood. Yeah, it sucks that I'm about to be 23 and I already feel like I'm past my prime. <laughs> First and thing, you're like, not. 
you're not. But second thing, I'm sorry. But third thing, go on. But yeah, like, so it, it definitely is. A, I feel like it is a problem. Like, it's just, and here's my thing is that I'm not, like, I age gap relationships can work in the real world. Like, it's not, nothing is, like, black and white. I've been in some age gap relationships that are perfectly fine. My boyfriend's, like, three years older than me, which isn't much, but it's enough where we have, like, different life experiences. You guys could have been um, so, in high school together. That's not a problem. Yeah, but so it's like, it can work, but you have this like worrying eyebrow raising trend where it is like the co-stars keep getting younger and the director, main actor keeps getting older. And it's right. like, um, got something you want to tell us? Especially since I guarantee you're probably married to someone that's closer to your own age. Hopefully, um, possibly. possibly. Not always. Possibly. Not, oh, often, oftentimes, recently divorced from the person that is their own age and remarried to someone close to their co-star. Right. Uh, I mean, what's what's the what's the thing? It's like you uh, you uh, retire or not retire? You, you're trading it in for a new model. Uh, like uh, like that, that whole thing. Just to hear. Yeah. I I I think as often as the case in movies, it is a harmful byproduct of a different harmful trend. Uh -huh. So, like, while it pushes to the viewer a narrative of, you know, men stay virile until they only depend on pills, while women, yeah. you know, are no good after 30. Right. Uh, that's what we see. I think the other thing that's actually being propagated that, like, causes this is a thing about careers. It's a sexist trend about careers. While uh, they, they think, oh, well, the audience is still going to go see, you know, um, Jackie Boy, uh, Marcus man i don't know <laughs> you know they're gonna still see tom cruise way into oh jackie boy marks man stars in <laughs> <laughs> but they're gonna still see him even when he's got graying hair but the moment the moment we see some crow's feet on on you know jennifer lawrence she's out and which is weird right especially because we're all into mommies we all want older women there's no one who doesn't want older women michelle pfeiffer could get it now, today, um, if you put if you gave me a movie where Michelle Pfeiffer just absolutely scores Tom Hardy and she's like way out of his league, I'd be like, I believe this. Right. I, there needs to be more of that. Right. Exactly. Yeah, and that's really what's going on here, though. It's it's really that the careers of the older men are considered to still be viable, considered to still have some kind of bank. Well, for whatever reason, whoever's making these kind of casting choices and marketing, because it's a marketing choice. For anybody who doesn't know this, casting is always a marketing choice. You don't cast people nine times out of 10, anybody in a leading or even supporting leading role in a movie isn't just chosen because they're a good actor. They are chosen because they can sell tickets to you. That's the number, like, that's the number one reason. So they believe that George Clooney can sell tickets at a rate that Jennifer Aniston can't. When right. the, that might be true, but it, it on a case to case basis, but it it isn't based on the age of men versus women. Like in, right. in reality, that we as we just as we all agreed, we would all see Michelle Pfeiffer lead a romance today. Right. Yeah. Uh, I keep thinking about these stars that have been stars for however many years, uh, and Michelle Pfeiffer still gets roles, but she doesn't get roles with younger men even though right. she's had a career for so long. But you have people like Tom Cruise, Adam Sandler, that I just looked up 
Emily Blunt, Tom Cruise. That's the most recent Tom Cruise thing I saw was Edge of Tomorrow. Um, uh, his, uh, their 21 year difference, their 21 year gap. In The Mummy, his love interest in The Mummy is the woman who plays. Um, is it Sophia Butella? Uh, it's no, that's who plays The Mummy. The one who plays oh, okay. The Mummy in the mummy is the same one who plays uh killian murphy and killian murphy killian murphy's love interest in peaky blinders in seasons one and two annabelle so, wallace yeah i think that's an even bigger age gap uh it's only 22 years she's only a year younger than emily blunt but yes only 22 years that's right. Right. Get another year just for fun oh, it's, it's, just it's, for it's, it makes my skin call honestly there's it, there's a movie that it's about, the only example I could think of, of like that kind of age gap and what felt like a mainstream movie, that's the whole gimmick of the movie. Um, it's got the guy who's the tech assistant or the tech friend in National Treasure. Um, and I think he's playing Is along- Justin I, Bartha? Yeah. From Hangover? Think, who never, he always disappears when the movie and then comes back at the end of Hangover? Yeah, I think he's playing alongside Catherine Zeta-Jones. It was a delightful oh. movie, but toxically, the lesson at the end of the movie is that he has to mature for a few years before they can actually be together. Like, Some, as opposed to, like, she can just have him now. It's like, it's like, it's, it was like, it was toxically healthy. It's like, hey, look, you did yeah. so well. And then you got to the end. It's like you need, you can't. We can't have that many vegetables. You need to show this relationship just working, so that we can have a contrast. Instead, the woman the woman cannot have the younger man unless everybody learns a moral lesson first and grows a bit. Um, I'm gonna look this up just yeah because I can't remember his name off the top of my head. That's a good poll. That's a that was a good name poll. I would have never remembered his name. The rebound. Oh, okay. That's the movie. The rebound. Yeah. Catherine Jones and him. Uh, panned on Rotten Tomatoes, 41%. Yeah. Um, this is where I'm trying, I, I wanted to lead us back to, is uh, Aggressively Relaxing was, was talking about um, uh, Ben Solo needs a little sympathy for being preyed on by the evilest space wizard in fiction. You hear people yeah. in really positive relationships say, they fix me too. Yes, people quote unquote fix other people in non-toxic relationships it's not the fixing that's the problem i have a big problem with 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 raylo that's just me again it's pushing that the literal murderer of millions and billions of lives is savable uh, i think there's also a problem with the way star wars portrays romances in general because if you take them trilogy by trilogy, original trilogy, it's really Han and Leia, and there's a weird, I don't, the age gap is, there's still an age gap, but is it that big? I don't know. But the point being is that, like, there's clearly a, I don't want to be with you. Yes, you do. You really want to be with me. It's like, no, I don't, until, like, she just goes, oh, okay, I guess I do, you know? I think that's kind the of, most toxic part, part of that one. Right. Yeah. The way you go the, you you don't know what you want until I tell you. Right, right. And even though it's fake and it's fiction, that's a real life thing that people learn from. And so yeah. when you kind of pass it off as like, oh yeah, Han Solo will be Han Solo and he's the coolest guy ever, then we start dealing with like, oh, people emulating that, right? Um, that's, a, that's a pickup artist strategy that they use. So like, Maggie, right? Is that what that's called? Yeah. I think no, the I think the negging has to do more with the insults. 
too. Yeah, yeah. What's but the pickup artist one that Nathan was saying? Artist, it's, it's like you, if you continue, I think negging is part of the strategy where you make the thing that she does want, I think I didn't know this right, I've only heard this a few times. Uh, yep. the, I think the whole strategy is you make the thing that she does want seem undesirable by making fun of her own interests, by picking on it, but you don't want to oversell it. But yeah, right. make her think she no longer wants the thing she does want, and then continually tell her she does want the thing you want her to want. Which is you. Which is you. Right. right. Um, but it's disgusting. Uh, toxic. Yeah. Horrible. Gaslighting. Um, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. You, make, you make her insecure. You, you, you find something that you think that she would be insecure about and hit that and a lot of people on tiktok do that they just go mid they just type it in mid or they go like even on on this perfect like i dare i hate to say perfect 10 out of 10 but like you know we're talking like there's really attractive people out there that people will come in and just be like yeah she's not that great you know i hope she notices how like uh how like close her eyes are you know yeah, whatever. They'll find something, and the goal is to bring women down a peg. That's just. I that's my, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and brag on myself for a moment. Sure, sometimes I do my best work in the comment sections. I really do. I should really just run a comment section TikTok. No, um, but I said on, I said on somebody's. They, they pointed out someone doing that, and I said, proud of this one. It really, it's really always someone from the discard pile who calls a masterpiece a draft. Hmm. That's uh. I was. That's uh, <laughs> deep. That was. That was my. I was proud of that burn. I was like, I'm gonna remember that. Nice. Now I wanna. I wanna take a moment to brag too. So I was uh, last year, not last year, but the December before last, I was a part of a massive hate campaign led by a big creator, a very big problematic creator. Initials are CP, and um, they sent their fans after me. And the only thing they could think of to make fun of me physically was my lips. That is the only physical thing they could find that was wrong with me. And that is such an easy thing to fix. So that was like the most like, oh, maybe I am attractive moment I'd ever had in my entire life. If that's the best they can do, you're doing great. Yeah. Um, I forget what I was going to say. Oh, just sorry. I was just really hung on the discard pile because when you brought up discard pile, I thought of Uno. For some reason, the card game Uno. Uh, so I was very confused. And then when it clicked, I was like, okay, that's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> I, I want to talk about, we can, I want to keep talking about Raylo though. For yes. Just a brief second. Cause yes. I like love and hate Raylo based on how, I think it's based on how hard you think about Kylo Ren. Cause if you just think about their dynamic, think about what you see on screen between the two of them, it's great. The thing is like, not to not to uh, risk getting into the Star Wars radar, but um, my problem with like Kylo Ren being redeemable at all in that series is that they keep trying to make him redeemable, and then they keep having him do the most irredeemable things that have ever been done in the Star Wars universe. It's like, okay, he just destroyed several planets. Like the first time we meet him, he destroys several planets, then kills his dad, and then throws a fit. And you're like, okay. Clearly, we're never going to be asked to sympathize with this man for the next two movies. You can never right. ask. Like, of course, he killed Han Solo. Why would we ever like him? Shortly into the next movie, the movie's like, you might like me. 
I'm like, damn it. I might. I might. And then by the yep. end of that movie, he throws another temper tantrum and tries to kill a bunch of people. And you're like, okay, I don't like him. There's no way I could like this guy. What a what a sassy, annoying person. Like bad sassy. I like sassy people. Bad type of sassy. What a brat. What a bratty person. Um, and irredeemably evil. And then you get to the next movie and it's, god dang it, they did it again. Oh man, here I am being asked to sympathize with him. And I do, because it's him. He's so cool and he's so handsome and he's tall. He's a big mountain man. He's great. But that's the problem. It's, it keeps the, the series keeps being like, you're not going to like him. He's, the wor- he's done the worst thing he could possibly do in this movie. Then the next movie they go, but you like him, right? <laughs> I have big thoughts about Kylo Ren and Ray, uh, but I want I wanted Sam to get her piece out before I. Oh, so sorry, I'm so sorry. No, 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 no. I want both of you. So what I'm trying to say is, before I'll let you both go, and then I'll go because then I have so many thoughts. I'm not going. I'm purposely not going to say them all on the show. Um, I will just say what I just a couple of things. But Sam. Uh, do you have any thoughts about uh, the the Raylo shipping? Yeah, um, so I think Raylo for me falls into that category of what I was talking about earlier. Which, by the way, when I say women, I mean like me. I don't mean everyone. I mean like people that are like me. And there's a lot of people like me, so it's like. Yeah. But uh, like you know, there's that self-insertion aspect of it, where it's like I don't really care all that much about Ray too much as a character. Like I just she's cool. Then nothing about her really like compelled me that much, but I liked her relationship with other people. So that's like kind of like my avenue into it. It's kind of like I see myself in Ray, so I can like see myself in it. So it's like it's kind of like that, right? So it's yeah. um, and I do agree where the narrative was just way too back and forth with Ben's character to make it seem like it was a natural progression of redemption. Like even Darth Vader was redeemable. You could have kept Kylo Ren on the redemption route and just needed to stick to it. And yeah. they went back and forth way too much for it to be followable. And especially with the last one, like if I had my way, the last one, Ben would not have gone back to being evil at all. He would have done a complete redemption arc post the end of The Last Jedi. And it would have kickstarted with him dissenting from the First Order. That's right. how I would have done it. Um, instead of having him hold on to that leash, that dark side leash for as long as humanly possible to the point where it was just annoying more than anything else so that's yeah. why yeah we're we're pretty much on the same page there it was just there was no like sense of progression it just felt like you like him he's gonna do a bunch of bad stuff but you're gonna like him and when we redeem him you're gonna like it and it's like i didn't i didn't like it i didn't feel yeah. earned you know he contrasts a lot with loki that way where it's like loki's arcs of why he's bad and when he's his baddest they always feel like they kind of make sense and, like, it's a steady trajectory of being less bad. It's like, every evil thing that Loki does after the first Avengers movie, they get less evil. He gets, he gets progressively more petty than evil after right. the first Also, outright murder. Was there someone that, that Loki outright murdered? I would say he probably outright murdered a number of people in the first Avengers movie. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But then uh, he, 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 he killed, oh no, he killed those people in the in the beginning when he was getting the Tesseract in the lab, right? In the Tesseract and then in the in Germany. He showed I think a couple I think we're led to believe he killed people that, in Germany. Yeah. But after that, 
he, I mean, you, I think that we can say he killed the people in New York. I think that that's enough his fault to say yeah. he did. It's that. his fault. Yeah. But I feel like he's on the course to redemption. I don't feel like Loki's that bad when it comes to redeemable characters. Yeah. He, I don't think he's on that course in the first Avengers movie. I don't think he even steps on the course. But I think he steps immediately on the course in Dark World. And then right. from Dark World on, he's. It's. He, Joss Whedon also oh sucks. But all right. We also need to give credence to the genres that these things fall under. Star Wars, it's a fairy tale. It's a space opera. It's going to have big, huge, ridiculous stakes with big, huge, ridiculous holes. Right. Like, so it's like, it's going to be, what is considered, like, horrible is going to be dialed up to 9,000. So right. it's like, That's same true. thing with, like, superhero movies. So it's like, if this was, like, an average, like, rom-com, it's like, yeah, he killed planets of people. That's horrific. That's horrific. But in Star Wars, it's like, eh, that's just another day in Star Wars. Yeah. He's he's very much like what's the what's the name of the character from Flash Gordon who's um the bad guy? He's Kylo Ren's em- very much Emperor, like the bad guy. In, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, the bad guy in Flash Gordon. Kylo yep. Ren's very much like that. Like whatever uh, evil thing he does, it makes sense. It's a space serial. Yeah. Um, my my quick thoughts about Star Wars and Raylo before maybe we move on. Um is <laughs> Uh, all Star Wars has flaws. Each trilogy has like major flaws, like even the original trilogy. None of it's perfect. It's just our love for the franchise that makes it perfect. I can't so, stand this. So, no. <laughs> when it comes to the sequel trilogy, there are a lot of good stuff in all three of those movies. And but I think the biggest letdown is the final one. I could see where seven and eight were going, and they were setting it up to that Kylo Ren is not redeemable at the end of it and that he would be the big bad in the final one you didn't see that when he i get he kills snoke he kills snoke great so now snoke isn't there anymore and palpatine's not even on the radar story-wise but he goes rule the galaxy with me and then she's like no and then he's like all right well i'm just gonna do it anyway i feel like that's point of no return for me and he goes off i felt like his i felt like they could have made him redeemable after that but it for me, the moment where you're like, oh, this kid's not coming back and we're really going to see, like, this divide of good and evil was the temper tantrum on the salt planet. Um, that's where I was like, oh, this, like, before then you could be like, oh, he's still, like, bought into the narrative yeah. of fascism and evil and, like, this is where strength really is. But once we see that he's just a petulant child he's a petulant and that child, all yeah. of the people around him hate him, I was like, oh, like, this is the arc is somebody achieving true goodness, and then what's the most pure type of evil? Unabashed selfishness. And that's going to be the difference between Ray and Kyle. And that's where I thought it was going to be going after that. Okay. Yeah. Um, the last one fumbled the ball, uh, as far as I'm, I'm concerned. I have no, I have less problems with Last Jedi than I do Rise of Skywalker. Like, Rise of Skywalker is like, clearly like, like being an improviser, when you are working with other people on stage and you're imp- doing improv and they set something up that you then are like, nah, I'm just going to go with kind of what I was originally planning. You're not, you're a bad teammate. So I feel but like. also, None of it felt like it was what they were originally planning. It felt like, oh, we're going to just totally course correct and come up with some new stuff. Like, I don't think that that was, I, not a single part of my brain 
thinks that Rise of Skywalker is what J.J. Abrams originally had in mind, because they had, like, no. had a whole other movie that Colin Trevorrow was going to do. Like, right. I, I fully feel like this was, well, we got rid of that guy because he made Book of Henry, so this is no longer viable for us, and we have to course correct from Last Jedi because too many people disliked it. Yeah. I didn't. I love Last Jedi, but we have to yeah. course correct. So here comes J.J. Abrams and the guy who brought us the Justice League uh, movie to to Superman. come up with something. And this is the saltiest thing. I will I will say I will say my my biggest criticism of Rise of Skywalker, like seeing like the like hobbled together solutions or cobbled together solutions, is a. Uh, Rise of Skywalker is guilty of something that the moat or the, the last parts of the Caribbean is to me, in my opinion. I have no confirmation that this is a real thing. But I feel like distinctly both movies make it clear that someone on the writing team didn't know what to do, walked across the hall to a screener of what was happening at Marvel and said, oh, we'll just do that then. Because in Pirates of the Caribbean 5, someone walked across the hall to Guardians of the Galaxy 2 and said, oh, we're going to do the we're going to do the exact same scene of of, oh, I'm your real daddy from uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 2 in Pirates 5, and the exact same on-your-left scene from Endgame is the is the, the, the starship battle show-up mm. thing in Rise of Skywalker. That's... Yeah. That's... Uh, okay. Sorry. Well, did, <laughs> Sam, did Sam have something? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to change mine. I'm not going to fight. I'm not going to fight. I have my interpretations. Everyone else has theirs. Yeah, I'm not here to change minds uh, <laughs> uh, at all. I don't hate them. By the way, I don't hate the movie. I don't hate any of these movies. I just think that about yeah. the, the, the writing beats coming out within a year of each other for both of these pairs of movies. I was like, these are suspiciously seeming similar writing beats. It was a great but, moment. I, I liked that moment yeah, in Rise of bad. Skywalker. Yeah, I but, don't think it's I think it's yeah. suspiciously similar. Yeah. Uh, real quick, before we move on, I want to tell you why I hate Raylo. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I feel like that was a big thing in episode uh, 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 nine. Nine. Where I, I, I but like, like the final, like, you know, whatever. So um, <clears throat> I, I just don't like Rise of Skywalker. I feel like it was a lazy course correction. I don't like what Rise of Skywalker did with Finn and with, with, um, uh, Rose and pretty much any non-white uh, character in in Star Wars. I felt like they were like, nah, you know what people are gonna like? This white guy and this white girl. And we're just gonna hinge everything again. Back, Star Wars is back to being about white people, which, okay, whatever. Like, I, I'm not a big fan of that. Finn gets shafted. I like Finn and Rey, and I think that he gets shafted pretty hard and forgotten about and I think that over the course of eight, I, I keep forgetting the numbers, eight and nine, they're like, oh yeah, I we forgot like our racist white fans don't like uh, Finn, literally from the get-go of the trailer of Force Awakens. Um, let's pair him up with, and this is uh, another trope, is that black characters get paired up with the other, either another, like a, a black guy with a black girl or a black guy with a non-white girl that happens all the time. It happened in Hey Arnold. It happens in 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 so many pieces of fiction when you have like a um, you know characters of color. It's just you pair it, you get them away because 
white women are precious and we don't want to pair them with any men of color or even women of color. We don't, we don't need a lesbian thing. We don't need a uh, man of color coming in regardless. So Finn gets written off who I was shipping and sure, maybe it's just me being, being kind of, you know, uh, upset about that, but also it's uh, Kylo obviously killing people, which I mentioned earlier. I like Adam Driver as an actor. I think he's a great actor. And I think that like he's great on SNL and he's great with the roles he does. I also don't find him attractive. And that's also a big thing. I'm like, I just don't find him attractive. I think he's very compelling, but I don't find him attractive. And that's subjective. I get it. But let's not, let's not lie to ourselves. I... I love Finn. I he was my favorite part of Force Awakens. If yeah. I had a if I had a number one criticism, because I, I, I again I love Last Jedi. I like that. We, I don't love the stuff on Canto Bite. I don't hate it like a lot of people no. hate it. I just I'm just kind of lukewarm on it. Yeah. But I love Finn, and I love that we got a lot of time with him, even if it yeah. didn't land. My biggest criticism of the whole series would be like this was the most charismatic and amazing character it was underutilized. I think we should have gotten full-on love triangle action between Ray Finn and Kylo Ren in the third one. I think that would be the most interesting way to have played things out. And you know what? I'll say it first. Should have been the first canonical Star Wars thruple. We should have gotten it. Would have made total sense. Uh, uh, I, would take, I would take Finn and Poe over a thruple, a thruple situation involving Kylo. I, 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 <laughs> together, together they could have fixed him as a unit. <laughs> I, I, I think Star Wars does not do romance well at all, like in any iteration, you know. Uh, and that's that's. Uh, Leia, or do you just were you just told that you should like Han and Leia? I was told I should like Han and Leia. I, 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 and I liked them because I was told that, you know, but when we look at Padme and Anakin, uh, I'm on a big anti-Anakin uh, kind of thing, especially recently watching Book of Boba Fett and seeing how like characters change and whatnot. And I liked Book of Boba Fett and I like a change in Boba because that's the way it is. Uh, but I think there should be more romance in Star Wars, but Star Wars can never get it right because Anakin is dark side once he kills the Tuscans in episode two onwards, he's not redeemable. He kills them. Padme, it's, I don't want to blame Padme for the bad stuff that Anakin did. I am a believer that like Padme should have been written better. Um, but like uh, Anakin's, uh, Anakin and killing the Tuscans. She enables his behavior. She enables and, his behavior by not taking him, by not holding him accountable for it. Yeah. And he's not redeemed, like, that's not a re redeemable act, his killing of the Tuscans. And that's something I learned through Boba Fett. I was like, oh, yeah, they have feelings and culture and whatever. Like, I knew that, but we write them, anyway, whatever, that's a bigger thing. Yeah, I, I would love to see romance in Star Wars. But, yeah. like, thinking about it, you're like, is there a single roman romantic storyline in Star Wars that actually works for me? No, I, I can't emphasize this enough. I would love that. Give me that in, you know what? Give me that in Obi-Wan. Give me like Obi-Wan and some moisture farmer uh, widow who yeah. like he protects while he's also like 
watching Luke from a distance. I would love that Obi-Wan and like yeah. some mysterious. Yeah, I, I think that'd be phenomenal. But I don't think we're gonna get it. I don't I don't think that this is something that the Star Wars universe knows how to integrate or wants to. The closest we got for me to like getting something that felt like really good classic, like a classic romance moment where I was like, I love this is in I think it's Mandalorian season one. Uh -huh. season two, I think it's the first episode Bryce Dallas Howard directs. Yeah. The one where the yeah, the woman who like asks him, Will you take your helmet off? And he like kinda wants to and doesn't. Love that. Yeah. I think that's one of yeah, I was literally just thinking that when we were talking about like, oh, Star Wars doesn't do romance well. It's like that's one of the few moments where I was like, Yeah, Star Wars can do romance and it can do it well. But it's also like it's hard to do, in my opinion, good romance on something that's so huge because good romance needs time and it needs energy and it needs narrative focus and whenever you have something as busy and as heavy as star wars there's just not enough room for it especially if you try to do something complex like ben and ray which is complex and needs a lot of screen time and a lot of focus it's just like you don't have enough to really do something that good which is why i think stuff like that would work best in like the legends and like the comics and like the books not really movies yeah. It's also really hard in two genres that Star Wars is most to make romance work long term. And those are Western and adventure. Like in Westerns, I mean, like it, Star Wars is a lot of things, but Star Wars, like as a whole series, has all of these adventure tropes. It's, it's go off on this trip, uh, accomplish this thing, go on this journey, epic journeys, adventure. Adventure is very broad genres. Fantasy is adventure. Like adventure is a much broader umbrella, even over these other things. Okay. So when you have, when you have all of these stories that are about, oh, we have to go defeat the bad guy off somewhere else. We have to go accomplish a task. And it's a whole bunch about, oh, we're going to leave home for a long period of time, or we're going to end up in a battle with good versus evil. It's hard to maintain a romantic subplot during a story like that. It usually shows up as uh, enemies to lovers trope, which can be very hard to do. And it, or it shows up as these like on again, off again romances where it's like, oh, they only saw each other every few months as the adventure continued, which again, really hard to convey when you've only got so many movies where the best way to do it in adventure, I'll get over to Western in a second, best way to do it in adventure is something like The Mummy. The Mummy is absolutely my favorite like romance and adventures because they're a team. They're always together for the adventure. They're on the adventure together. And this is, the, they are absolutely co-leads, co-pilots in this thing. There's never a time where they're like, go, like doing the thing on their own, unless part of doing the thing on their own is the tension of getting back to each other. And in Westerns, which Mandalorian so much is, I mean, New Hope yeah. is very much, like Mandalorian so much is, uh, it's very much about this, like the, that thing from Kung Fu, like going from town to town, you know, save the farmers from the, the evil right. bank save the farm it's a bunch of save the farm who are we going to save the farmers from the evil bank the evil cattle rustlers whatever yeah. and uh the opportunities for romance are who you meet who the, the lone wanderer meets as they go into town so while you can have like oh, i i met the love of my life in this small town you can never settle there um not that's a story. lone wolf romance though right like i feel like yeah. that's a very specific type of romance yeah, and but it's it's very much like in the Western genre, that's what you're getting a whole lot. Unless we were to get a story that like revolves around somebody who stays in one place a lot, the 
big example I could think of would be the guy, uh, the marshal in Freetown. If we got yeah. like stories following the marshal in Freetown, well, then he could have a romantic storyline because you have that consistency where, yeah. okay, she's the woman in the town where he always is. But any right. stories like Mandalorian, where he's going from town to town as the lone, as the Western lone wolf, you're at, at best, he can see the same woman once, once per season. You right. Know? Um, and his, I, I want to add on to that. Uh, just, just the, I, I think it's also the idea that movies are different than TV shows. Movie, a character has an arc and then that's it, right? Like that's what kind of makes a movie. Episodes of a TV show, TV shows have to have the same character. So a character can't go through an arc. They can go through an arc in an episode and learn something small. But over time, maybe when you end the series, you can finally finish off an arc. But the goal is Fonzie is supposed to be Fonzie the whole way through and people leave happy days when Fonzie changes, when they don't know what to expect. Like characters don't go through arcs in a TV show like they do in a movie, unless you pace the TV show like a movie and you have an ending for it. Um, which is also the problem with sequels sometimes is because a lesson learned in a movie and a character change in a movie has to then carry over. You get what I'm saying? I I agree and I, it's like I agree and I don't because I think the problem you're describing is very real and like TV works that way, especially it used to be. The model in TV used to be turn on the TV week to week and happy days is always happy days. Right. Uh, That started changing. It really started changing around TiVo time before streaming. And uh, like like Buffy's not the same Buffy at the beginning of Buffy as she is at the end, or the characters in Lost are not the same at the beginning of Lost as they are at the end. But right. the show expects you to be keeping up. Like the show expects you to not miss more than an episode mm-hmm. here and there, okay. um, which, which is a stringent expectation and not casual viewing, right. um, which is why the, the numbers, the, the ratings numbers will drop so much more intensely for a show like that than they will for something like Happy Days because people know that they can't just tune in lazily. Um, I, the big example I would say for like agreeing with you that with sequel, movie sequels not carrying an arc over, because sometimes they can, it's amazing, yeah. but sometimes they don't. Or like the early days of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I thought that was a huge problem. I thought like Thor and Iron Man in particular would oh, start yeah sequels as exactly the person that they like ended the last movie no longer being and i was like this yeah. is wholly unsatisfying right you're right that it ta- it does it does matter on whether that that series is meant to be watched from beginning to end or whether it's like law and order where it's broad stroke characters that may you get, may get backstory on these detectives but at the same time like they're roughly the same right when you watch it in syndication um i do want to pivot um because we and this is my segue we're talking about lone wolves and their and their love interests and there's a lot of people that believe that batman cannot uh, have a love interest that he's eternally eternally tormented and thus can't create romantic uh, uh uh relationships with people that being said that's not the way i like my batman and everybody who likes batman ships him with somebody do we have a favorite person for for batman to be with and i'm saying person because we all have different takes on him um do we have a a a person that like batman's one tree pairing his otp uh for me it is uh bat cat and uh bat and soup i gotta gotta 
Okay, so Batman and Catwoman is one yeah. thing. Do you you romantically pair him with Superman? Yeah, I think it's like I just like on like a not really on like I don't know too much about Superman's character, you know, personally, but it's just one of those things where it's like, hell yeah, I'll skip it. I have a pin of them kissing. It's like Okay. It's just half hearted, like, yeah. Yeah. Batman. Yeah, why not? <laughs> It's it's always interesting. I, I see it when when that when that sort of thing pops up, and that's m- mostly because of my view as like like a like a cishet man is that I'm like, uh, I don't know. It it's curious to me. I'm like Superman and Batman romantically. I just see them as best friends. Like they're just, no, like that is very common. Yeah, no, I know it is. Like, I did a video um, where I was talking about, you know, Catwoman is bi, and I was using the bi wife energy audio, and I was like, oh, yeah. the line. To be honest, I'm a hetero guy, and it's like everyone in the comments was like, what about him and Clark? And I'm like, got me there. <laughs> I, I get very conflicted about this one there's a couple there's a couple pairings like it kind of conflicted when people ship them at different levels because like i have nothing wrong with like a storyline where they get together and i have nothing wrong with anybody shipping them but i guess in my heart i just love them as being this very rare um like as as my preferred superman batman as being the rare uh example of a really good healthy non-toxic masculine friendship which we yeah. just don't get enough of in pop culture so every right. time i find a really nice healthy one i'm like i love this how that they right. actually talk to each other about their feelings um another like example where it's like i'm fine with them either way i have the preference though is like sherlock and watson in the bbc they are so coded they are so mm-hmm. coded in the uh in that one and so i i ship them together these are just two closeted men who don't realize that they want each other right but in any other iteration of Sherlock and Watson, I'm like, no, these are just two guys who can share their lives and and have broken past right. toxically expectations. Um, so it, it depends on the iteration, I guess. Right? And I probably feel that way for Superman and Batman. Somebody gave me a storyline where I was like, no, these guys aren't good for anybody but each other. I would I would feel that way. Right. But yeah, we get so we get so few we get so few good representations of like a healthy male friendship that I, I love, like I love the world's finest friendship. Um, yeah. I do think, I do think it's Catwoman and Batman. I was thinking for uh, a little while, like, is there another, is there another hero I put in my, that I, Before I have you, my- Sorry, uh, I, I just, I, cause I feel like we're gonna get away from this Batman Superman thing. And I just wanted to really throw something in. Um, is that you're right, Nathan, is that we don't have, very many good representations of of wholesome uh non-toxic male relationships right and and at the same time it's just as valid to be like you know i would like superman and batman together like like people who have that have, view we also sorry? don't have a lot of good representation of good uh of good non-hetero relationships exactly like, of any time so it's like right. there's really neither one do we have enough of so that's where it's like while i have my preference both of these are equally in need right and that's why it's so it's so funny how those two kind of conflict with each other when we see two men being close with each other it is 
one or the other. It's I, it like, and it can't, like, it's obviously can't be both because they would contradict each other. But at the same time, it's because we don't have enough representation of either one. And so I understand people wanting the good non-hetero relationship. But then I also, as someone who grew up with this, this stigma of you can only be so close to your friends, you don't give hugs, which is not something that I buy into now, but it is something that like growing up, you don't want to be called gay. Growing up, that was just the way it was. Like, you don't want to. You don't give your friends hugs. You do the, you do the hand thing and then the one arm around. Maybe you do that. That's as close as you get. You don't say, I love you. Now, I say, I love you, right? But back then, you don't because that was misconstrued to be gay then. And that's not something that you wanted. So I feel like... Uh, you guys... Okay. Did I cut out? Did I? I'm just listening. You, oh, okay. It, oh, no, for, my for, screen froze for a little bit. Anyway, the point being is that like, we don't get, the, so now as someone who had to essentially live through that, where it's like kind of getting over this fact that like, why can't like men be close to men without it being gay? That's not an anti-gay thought, but at the same time, understanding that like in media, we don't have non-hetero relationships we also don't have like uh, uh, this like man 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 love that's not sexual. You know what I mean? I, I can bring up the toxic solution that we had to deal with almost exclusively through the two thousands and the late nineties. Because by the way, small little thing: most of the toxic things we think of as like having always existed in movies, they exist in these little windows of toxicity. So like like we'll have like this pocket in like the 70s and 80s where something exists and then like things get a little better in the late 80s and 90s and then it shows up again in the late like in like it's always there but like shows up again in force in the late 90s and the 2000s and then it goes away again and then it shows up and then like you know what i mean like it goes in these like patterns of like yeah doing a little bit better doing a lot worse and i'd say one of the worst periods was the late 90s and the early 2000s and there's a trope that uh another youtube channel called red letter media coined called the not gays where filmmakers will throw in these really kind of either they'll throw in one of two things. They'll throw in the really toxic masculine jokes that the men will like, like they'll, they'll be just this close to being vulnerable with each other. And then suddenly they're saying something horribly offensive to each other to both prove that they're straight or they have an incredibly unfleshed out thin relationship with a girl who is given absolutely no screen time and characterization just to prove that he's straight because he's dating her or married right. to her. Right. Um, also, olden, like, I don't want to say olden days, but in the past, it was, bisexuality wasn't a, a thing, like, like in, in the mainstream mindset. Not that it didn't exist. Uh, so thus, you could play the card of, no, 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 I got a girlfriend. And yeah. the girl's like, yeah, he's loving me every night. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, obviously, so I'm not straight, into that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm not into that guy's butt over there that nice juicy butt because i got a girlfriend so there's exactly. no bisexuality there right right it, it's one once you've introduced that they're straight they can't be anything but straight because right by erasure did someone say butt butt straight but no i'm just <laughs> uh i i have a question i'm actually going to direct this one a little bit towards sam yeah because uh, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say, say, Sam, I think you established yourself during the conversation as the patron saint of approving of toxic relationships. So my question here is, my favorite Batman relationship is not who I ship him with, but it's horribly toxic. 
how do we feel about Batman with Talia as goal? Oh. It's I just am not, I'm not the biggest Talia fan, so I just, I don't really, I've never really given much thought to their relationship because I just really don't care. (laughs) Um, So it's it's not not like, like, oh, she's a horrible person who has done horrible things to him and has done horrible things, and the relationship is not good, but my, my disinterest doesn't come from that, it just comes from the fact of, like, I've never really been interested in Talia's character. Gotcha, there's just never been a story that made her compelling to you. Uh, I'm going to But sorry, Sam, continue. But I haven't really looked. Like, it's, I just, I focus on characters, really. Um, I don't really focus on, like, the broader story. Talia yeah. has never really crossed my radar that much, so I don't really know too much about her. So I yeah. haven't been seeking out any of her stories. But, like, I bet she's an interesting character, but she's just not interesting to me because she hasn't crossed my radar. For episodes in Batman the Animated Series, if you have HBO Max, really good like she's not fully great in them but for like a, as a five-year-old at the time or four or whatever i was at the time watching these episodes I was like that character is she's badass yeah she's she's badass yeah so i think that was the like she made a home in my head like that person's cool like that yeah. is a cool character uh i'm a big fan of talia only when she's done right though so for example back in the 70s neil adams uh, the whole Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams, I think it was, uh, when they did Batman, Batman was like globetrotting. He was doing like different adventures. Uh, it got into like pulpy roots. Talia and Raish were big parts of that. And that's when Batman sleeps with Talia because they got married. And then it's retconned out of existence later. And Grant Morrison, so there's been three, there's three stages in Talia and Bruce together. One was they were married, they had a loving relationship, they made love. And she, they sired a child that he didn't know about, which ends up later becoming Damien. There's that one. That was the first one. Then Grant Morrison, I think, comes in and he changes it to she drugged and raped him. And that's not my Talia because that was a weird retcon. Then later, they say, that's not true. She just extracted DNA from him and test tube baby Damien. Which is... That's also weird. Yeah. No, I'm just saying, it's like, like you go from, like, a romance to a really toxic, horrible romance. Like, but at least a character who's still interested in the other two. Just just an experiment. Really? Couldn't have been anybody. I don't know what it is right now in continuity, but Talia that loved him and he loved her, that's the relationship that I liked because they're from similar lines of work and they're both capable of love, even with this weird villainous, this was back like, she's not even a villain at this point. Like she's just, it's a Romeo and Juliet story. Like it's his villain's daughter. And I thought that was really compelling back in the day. Nowadays, she's a terrorist and whatever, which maybe is just the growth of her character. I don't pair them together, but I do pair Batman with people he works with, whether it's Catwoman or whether it's Wonder Woman. I don't pair him with Vicky Vale. I don't pair him with normal people. Right. He needs to be with someone who understands his line of work. Kind of like how celebrities need that. Actors need that, you know? When she's oh, yeah, aged- that was like a big thing. Um when I was in school was like literally in class, they would be like, it's really hard to date because I studied to be an actor. It's like, 
it's very hard to date civilians in certain lines of work and it's yeah. like yeah <laughs> right right when she's aged correctly his chemistry with zatanna is really good like yeah. she's usually aged pretty young so it doesn't work but if they're both aged around the same place like in batman the animated series i feel like that's big for you nathan uh yes I might, it was I for me have, too yeah look i i may or may not have an original copy of mad love sitting in a sitting in a uh comic book sleeve right now yeah, yeah. how much is that worth um i haven't gotten it graded uh a lot i have okay. i I should not talk about Batman comics. But I have a lot. I have a lot of retro comics from like the fifties and sixties, and I thought those were my only like comics of value to take care of over the years. And I always had these ones from the nineties when I was a kid that I loved a lot, like Batman Annuals, Batman Number One, like Batman Adventures. This is actually what they call it in the comics. Yeah. Batman Adventures. And I was like, oh, no one's ever going to care about these. These are kids' comics. Little did I realize. So thankfully they're in pretty good condition i will imagine that they're not going to get graded below an eight and a half because they just i've never really taken them out and abused them they've been stored pretty well but i've only recently put them in the acid proof sleeves so we'll see but yeah that's my small small i do i do have a copy of mad love yeah mad love was the comic book i ever bought so that's the, the the trade edition not the original one yeah but mad mad love I, I always hear from people being like, at the very least, they read Mad Love. Like, it, it, it's it's weird because there are, you know, back in the day when I was a kid, it was like, oh yeah, girls don't read comics, but girls do read comics. They just don't talk to weirdo guys about reading comics because they're weirdo guys. And like girls reading Sandman or, you know, Mad Love or whatnot, like that was a, that was a, those were big ones some of the biggest selling comics of all time and comic book fans don't like to talk about this or think about this because it destroys a narrative that they all have that comic books always wanted to be dark and gritty and for men and all these things but some of the best selling comic books of all time were aimed at either uh women or small children because comics are for everyone the yeah. biggest selling comics of all time were the disney cartoon comics like uncle scrooge yeah. sold yeah. millions of issues it's because it's sold internationally it's so international and everyone could buy it. If you were yeah. if you were an aunt or a grandparent and you were like, oh my, you know, my kids the kids are coming to stay with us for the weekend, you buy several of those Disney comics back in the day to yeah. entertain them. Um, yeah. And like they used to have like romance comics. Yeah. Like a lot of like the modern day comic art style that you see didn't really come from superhero comics. It came from those comics that was marketed towards women. Those romance yeah. comics, model comics. Um, Betty and Veronica, you know, it's like, that's where a lot of that style comes from. The Lois Lane really story. Yes, uh, yeah, Lois Lane. Um, his grandfather Lois Lane, those are really good too. But um, it was like, you don't really see that anymore. Like, you don't really see like, oh, these are comics for girls. Yeah. But you have not only, Not only do you not see them made that often, you don't see them canonized. Like, when when Comic Con started blowing up in the eighties, I, I not San Diego, but like the whole concept of a con started blowing up in the eighties, it very much was a like treated as this like boys club thing, and it was yeah not everyone who enjoyed comics. It was this demographic 
of mobile guys in their like round late 30s to 40s, a few young ones who could spend money, but let's, it wasn't the old folks who were like, had been reading in the 50s and early 60s. It was this very like key demographic who were going to set the narrative for what was going to be canon and the most important stories and what we liked the best. So yeah. people talk about like uh, Superman's Girlfriend Lois Lane and all those, like the Supergirl runs and all those as if they aren't canon. Like, oh, here's this Elseworld adventure that ran for 10 years. Right. As opposed to it being like real comic book history, which is bonkers, but it just... Yeah. Well, as we as we see with a lot of Star Wars fans, we're not going to get back on the Star Wars train, but they're you know what they believe is canon, what they believe isn't is. I mean, it doesn't matter. It is canon, right? Yeah. Um, But it's weird that what like the this is the thing about power and privilege: the people who hold the most power and the most visibility in any group can give something more weight and can set the tone for how it's talked about. So these comic books aimed at children or comic books aimed at women, um, they get talked about as being lesser, or maybe they weren't as important, or maybe they weren't sold as often, which isn't true, but it creates this narrative that everyone else buys into. Without me, they'll talk about it in the same tone. Same thing happened to rom-coms. Like, rom-coms were one of the biggest genres out there, as big as the Western ever was. But it gets talked about especially now that the rom-com in its, from its heyday is ostensibly dead, gets yeah. talked about like it's an, an off-brand thing. Like, oh, rom-coms, and there's chick flick. There's this other side. And like, no, 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 Sleepless in Seattle is one of the biggest movies ever made. Like, it's, right. uh, like, these are, these are mega hits. Um, these are not, these are not niche products. Um, when Harry Met Sally is one of the greatest films of all time, it's not an anomaly designed for women. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to close up this episode by talking about our, did we get to talk about our favorite romance of all time? Our favorite pairings? Did we get to do that at the top or did we just go, I tried to stay positive at the top and then I feel like we went like, sue and like negative and like whatever. I don't think we got negative, we got deep into We did go yeah. deep. We did go deep. Uh, by the way, uh, just a shout out to the two rom-coms that are that are weirdly coming out on like the same weekend is Marry Me, right? Which is what like Nathan had, I had seen the trailer and then Nathan brought it up uh, uh, pre-show. Uh, and then I Want You Back is the one that I want to watch. That's the, that's the, um, what, who, uh, who, who's in it? I'm trying to look it up. It's Charlie Day and Jenny Slate trying to, working together. Have you not heard? You would love have- this. Yeah, I haven't heard of this. It came out. It's that. on Amazon Prime right now, uh, I think, or you have to order it on Amazon. But the point being, it's Charlie Day and Jenny Slate trying to get their respective exes to come back to them by messing up you know, or something. Free on Prime. Is it free on Prime? Yeah, available with a subscription to Prime. Oh, uh, and I have Prime, so that's I want you back, Charlie Day and oh. Jenny Slate. So, I don't see that now. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to be completely honest with you guys. I've been holding this in this entire time. I absolutely hate rom-coms. That's fair. I love romantic movies. That's all right. You cannot pay me to sit down and watch either of the movies you guys are just talking about. Uh, I'm a big softie and I love rom-coms. I was just raised on them. I had, I had five sisters growing up. I have, I still have five sisters. But <laughs> That's good. I love rom-coms. I, many of my favorite movies and like favorite uh 
um, guilty pleasures or rom-coms, comfort foods, but I don't put, I wouldn't push them on anyone. It is, it's not for everybody. They're very schmaltzy. It's, I'm, I'm writing, I'm writing one. Uh, so Sam, if it ever gets made, I would hope you'd watch it, but you don't have to. You have to give it an obligatory bad review, Sam. You have to say, because no. I don't like rom-coms. Obligatory. I would never hate on anyone for liking rom-coms. I totally respect the genre. I respect that as an actor, I would probably end up being in a rom-com at some point. But also, it's like, I'll stick with my bodice rippers. <laughs> oh, I just, it's just, I don't know. I just, I was just, I thought it was funny how you guys were talking. Like, yeah, rom-coms, rom-coms. And I'm like, oh. Yeah. I, I think art. though that like the way media portrays romances, you gotta bring up rom coms. Like it's a oh, must, yeah. right? Rom coms are more popular than romances. I feel like there's no. I mean, there's not too many straight romance movies. You know, well, it's a weird line too because there are a lot of things that probably are just romance. They don't fit the thing of rom com, but because they're charming and funny enough, they get put into rom com. Like. Right. Um, the movies Say Anything and Some Kind of Wonderful are not really comedies. They're just funny enough. Uh, But because they're not tragic, which is what a lot of, like, capital R romances are, um, they're they're somehow, like, horribly tragic and and star-crossed. Because they're not that, then they become a rom-com by default. Right. Um, What are our final one true pairings the two that set the standard two that you just really love the top 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 pairing of all time some people you know they say it's clark and lois some people love clark and lois and i do when done right um they're not my top do you guys have a top um I have I have an obvious top, but I don't. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to think of a geek top. But my 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 favorite it's it's the Mummy. It's Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weisz in the Mummy. That's the Evie, greatest. Evie and Rick, right? Evie and O'Connell, yeah. Evie, yeah. Evie and O'Connell are the the perfect couple in fiction. But I want to I want to think of like a like a broader geek pairing. I, I mean, I, I do like that. Mummy is one of my favorite movies of all time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, it's so good. And uh, a lot of a lot of movies tried it. Like most recently, Jungle Cruise tries to get into that vibe, and it fails because The Rock is not vulnerable, and that's literally in his contract. He's not vulnerable. Like he he can't lose a fair fight. I felt like he's pretty emotionally vulnerable in that movie. I felt like the characters just didn't have any believable romantic chemistry. Like they very much felt yeah. like brother and sister. Like yeah. that was out at the end when they got together. I'm like. She's like your sister. You're also yeah. several hundred years older. Spoilers yeah. for Jungle Cruise. But what are you going to do? I mean, that's a whole different... I wish we could talk about that. What are people who are thousands of years old, who are they supposed to date? Oh, they should, they, what? I, I, they should be able to date anyone. I just feel like he gave Big Brother vibes the whole movie. Oh, okay. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, anyone have their, their one true pairing? Sam. I'm sorry, my phone started up, so I had to unplug my ring light. Okay, yeah. so if you had asked me last year, around the time when I got my Beetlejuice and Lydia tattoo, I would have said Beetlebeats. But now I've got to go with Riddler, Scarecrow and the Riddler from Batman, 
and I got to go with the deputy and the Speed Brothers from Far Cry 5. Those are the two pairings that I have always come back Wait, around to. Scarecrow and Riddler? Yes. From Gotham? From Batman, like the just the franchise. Just in general. Oh. They, uh, do, they are attached at the hip. I had never thought about this until you brought that up. Wait, what? When are they attached to the hip? They're attached to the hip in the comics? All the time. In the comics and the in the cartoons and the in in the games, they're always suspiciously close to each other. And they always and they always get drawn close to each other in splash panels. Yeah. Suddenly I've got like a hundred examples just flipping through my head. I'm having problems making sense of it. I know um Nig Mobble Nig Mobble Pot or Riddle birds, you know, Riddler and Penguin is the more common one that has more canon basis, but I've always been a scarecrow girl too, so I as well just put my two favorite characters together and call it a relationship. I, oh, I think it's because the Riddler teams up with people. For a character who's a narcissist, he teams up with people a lot, but those those two teamings are probably like the ones you see the most. But I feel like I let's just be honest. I feel like I feel like Edward Nigma is a more interesting character. To pair somebody with and more dynamic than Cobblepot, I yeah. but I think of mine. I think of, I thought of my one true geek pairing, the one that I always come back to. It's it's uh, Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn. They're they're perfect for each other. They're they're you. I I honestly think that's the best. That's the best couple in comic books. Okay, that's a good one. Yeah, um, mine because I'm having trouble thinking about anybody else. Is Rogue and Gambit now? Uh, and I did a video. It's one of my pinned videos on TikTok uh, where I just talk about how happy and non-toxic he is now, even if she's more powerful than him. He's not emasculated by her power. Um, the biggest thing that 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 stands out to me is recently, this is what I did my video on, is uh, basically, there's a big telepathic vote across mutants where they vote on who gets to join the X-Men. And Rogue gets vo- voted into the team. Gambit does not. And Gambit's okay with it. Gambit's like, I'll stay at home and watch the cats. I'm cool with it. Gambit has lived a life of adventure. He's like, not only does it not hurt me, maybe he's some like time like to just like hang out is good. And He's not emasculated by that. Gambit's powerful in and of his of himself, but um, in the panel, Jubilee's like, "Hey, you you okay with this?" And he's like, "Yeah, I'm cool." And I think that that's like something that we should all aspire to. Like he's the he's the most supportive husband, like husband slash lover, boyfriend, whatever. Yeah, he's, they're they're married now. Okay, they are okay. He's yeah. he's the most supportive. He he just unabashedly loves that woman. Yeah, and I yeah. think that it's it, it's beautiful in that way, um, because we don't see it in real life couples enough. Like people like men get upset when women make more money than them. Men get upset when like women are hitting the gym and they're like, yeah, yeah, but I could lift more than them. Men get up like men get upset that there are Olympic athletes that are women. They're like, well, she's fast, but like guys are faster. And it's like, you're not faster. You're not beating Marion Jones in a race. Like the only the only vision that they can get of 
masculinity and of what they the way that they can function in a relationship is as being the protector the hero the provider there is there's no world in which they are no model for which they understand themselves as the supporter the listener the the consistent which are the things that people want and women are people people yeah. don't people don't want to be provided for so much as they want to just be not alone and have somebody you know supporting them in their choices right etc etc anyway yeah yeah give us more examples like that in fiction absolutely right right um thank you guys so much for coming on this show and talking with me about all this stuff whether it's Raylo, whether it's you know uh, batman and talia's weird history <laughs> you know whether it's sam's hate of rom-coms you know uh, thank you guys so much for 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 being here on this show and talking with me about everything. Uh, Matthew Mori was in the chat. Sorry, Matthew, I didn't get to to refer to your to your um, uh, stuff. He was saying Matt is a big fan of the Last Jedi. He also is a big fan of Han and Leia. Um, he also mentioned earlier that westerns don't usually have sequels, so there wouldn't be much to carry over through westerns. They kind of start and they end, and that, yeah. that is how it is. Um, but he does say he wants to watch the new Jenny Slate, uh, the I Want You Back. So, you know, you know, we've got more votes for I Want You Back. Um, thank you also to Aggressively Relaxing on YouTube. Um, and then I saw other people come in and go. Somber Knock was on Twitch because we were streaming to, to Volume, to Twitch, to YouTube. And Volume is our number one streaming platform. Volume.com slash The Keeg Show. If you're not on Volume, uh, come check it out it's mostly performers of different types of music and and singing and then you know it's niche geek shows and that's where we come in so uh thank you to volume out there for for giving us a platform to be a part of um before we get going though uh nathan uh, if you want to say your social media out loud to the podcast listeners out there yeah. and then what you got coming up any plugs that you want to do yeah, absolutely. Hey guys, follow me over on TikTok at the Favoring Wind or on Twitter at just Favoring Wind. Uh, I tweet occasionally about media or just what's on my mind, but I make TikToks a few times a day talking about uh, media and what have you. I'm also a writer, uh, poet, and screenwriter, but I have a poetry book if anybody's interested. I have some romantic poems that you might be able to read to your wife or girlfriend or the person you hope to date you sometime in the next couple of days. Uh, that's the Favoring Wind available on Amazon. Uh, I don't have a date for Valentine's Day. Will that book help me in the next two days? Uh, yes, yes. I think that you could, I think you could uh, record yourself reading one of these poems. They're not very, very few of the poems are very long. Record yourself reading one, send it as a DM to somebody. There's nothing that's particularly aggressive in here. So people be like, oh, he didn't write that, but he thought of me. How charming. Or she didn't write that, but she thought of me. Uh, to any women or, or non-binary people listening, these can yeah. be sent by you as well. Cool. I'm not going to read it out loud and be like, booty, 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 rocking everywhere. Booty, 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 booty rocking everywhere. Not indicative of the whole thing. <laughs> okay, cool. Cool, 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 cool. Uh, awesome. Awesome. Where can we, where can people get your book? Uh, my book is available mostly on Amazon. That's the best place to get it. It's, uh, Amazon through paperback, uh, Amazon through Kindle, and there's also a, a link for it for Google Play. Uh, you can find it either by searching directly on those uh, websites on search The Favoring Wind by Nathan Gregory Cook, 
or you can go to my website, thefavoringwind.com, and all of my links are at the top banner of my website. Awesome. Cool, cool, cool. Definitely, uh, I'm going to look that up, you know? Also, I should shout out that I found you guys on TikTok, and you guys' TikToks are awesome. So definitely follow Nathan uh, at The Favoring Wind on TikTok. Uh, Sam, what is your yeah. social media? Where can we find you? What do you got coming up? Okay, so uh, first off, I want to just give a little bit of a thank you guys for tuning in and listening, and thank you for having me on the show. But I want us to all be on the same page and agree that all of this stuff, the shipping, the relationships, the drama involved in it, it is not worth it to get so hung up over it that you're willing to start fights or tell people to harm themselves on the internet because this is literally the most toxic aspect of fandom culture and no one ever talks about it because it's mostly occupied by women and people that are LGBT. Yes. People right. have literally their lives over this shit and it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. It can, uh, the discourse can be toxic. I'm very lucky that on the Keeg and with you guys that we have uh, a non-toxic constructive discourse, uh, which is cool. Uh, and we have, you know, we have fun while we do it, but there are, there's a lot of toxicity online um, when it comes to this, whether, it, you know, Harley and, and Poison Ivy getting together and like, and people being anti, you know, LGBTQ and whatnot. Um, we can have fun or even if it's not fun, constructive discourse about these topics um, without, you know, resorting to any, any of that toxicity. If you don't know whether or not you're contributing something toxic, ask yourself two questions. Do you think that your answer is actually the best answer? Because that's pretty toxic. And are you judging somebody else for their choices? Because that's right. toxic. And that needs you to saying toxic things that make something personal. When these conversations shouldn't be personal. They should be about what do you enjoy and what does somebody else enjoy and bonding over the fact that you guys both like the same general topic and can have conversation about your different experiences with it. Right. And something that I've realized, just doing this show and meeting new people is that yucks and yums are opinions. Yeah. So don't yuck anyone's yum. It is what it is. You know, if people like Ray, uh, Raylo, people like Raylo. And who am I to say, you know, that that would, you know, would be dumb or stupid or whatever. I don't, but that's my opinion. I'm not here to yuck anyone's yuck. You know, um, um, but uh, yeah, sorry, Sam, did you finish your, uh, you didn't, uh, where, where can oh, people no. find you and all that? Um, so you guys can find me over on TikTok um, and YouTube as Miss Riddle Me This. Um, I'm currently putting more work into my YouTube. Um, my next videos are either going to be an analysis on whether or not the Joker is oversaturated and people are getting tired of his character, or it's yeah. going to be analyzed to be shipping culture um, within the Far Cry 5 fandom. Mm. And then I've also got a Twitter where it's riddle me miss underscore. And then on Insta where you can find me for my vintage fashion, it is uh, Samantha D. Reagan. And all awesome. of those all together in a handy day little box, no matter which link you go to. Awesome. Great. Thank you guys so much for coming on the show and taking time out of your, your day or night or evening, or whatever time it is over there. Um, I'm on the West Coast, so it's always a little bit earlier for me. Um, um, unless you're in Hawaii, and then it's really early for you. So, yeah. well, good on you if you're in Hawaii then. Um, 
Thank you guys so much for, for tuning in. Anybody out there that was tuning in. Once again, we live stream to, uh, to volume, to YouTube, to Twitch. So definitely check us out there. Wherever you guys are digesting us, click like, click follow, subscribe, click the bell, do your thing. Uh, either way, we appreciate it. Um, if you're listening to the podcast, you'll listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. That's also super cool. And uh, we update the audio a little bit before I send it out as a podcast. That's pretty cool. We're also on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at The Keeg Show. Follow us there. That's the easiest way to keep up with all the different shows that The Keeg has to offer. We got a whole bunch. If you stick around for the outro, you'll be able to see everything that we have uh, coming up next week. For the Keeg Live, we're talking about Uncharted. That's something that's going to happen. Normally, it's every two weeks, but, you know, next week, a movie's coming out. So let's talk about it. So we will be here. Other than all that, um, oh, yeah, check out our Patreon. Patreon.com slash the Keeg Show. We got different tiers for donating. And if you want to subscribe, it's as low as $5 a month that you can help give back to the Keeg and help us expand our shows. Because I would love to do way more shows. We're already doing four shows a week. I would love to, uh, five, five shows a week, maybe, whatever, but I would love to do more. You can help us out by going to patreon.com slash the Keeg Show, and, uh, you know, we might uh, might do some pretty cool, maybe some D&D related stuff. Who knows? That's on the docket. So, uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Thank you guys, uh, Nathan and Sam, so much for being on the show, and definitely everybody go follow them on social media. Once again, uh, I'm your host, Demetra Pereira, and this has been The Keeg Live, talking about the greatest romances in geekdom. Uh, Take care.